So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is the word of God, and for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. All right, you can be seated. Kat, thanks for being a good sport. For future reference, my sermons are 20 to 30% better if people sit in the second row. So next week, when you come, and you want it to be a slightly better sermon, you need to come to the first or the second row, okay? Uh, well, can you all hear me? Okay, can you hear my voice? Good. Are you listening? Are you sure? There are 10 times in the book of Exodus where someone is accused of not listening. A bunch of times it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is uh, accused he's not listening to the Lord, but numerous times it's the people of God who are blamed for not listening. Uh, a couple of years ago, Emily and I read the whole Bible together. It took us a good number of years, but we did it. And one of the things that stood out to me in reading the whole Bible is how many times that phrase, would not listen, uh, came up, especially in the Old Testament. Hundreds upon hundreds of times, God's people are accused of not listening to the stuff that God has to say. Now, we intuitively know that there's a difference between hearing and listening. I asked you, can you hear me, and are you listening? They're different questions. At the most basic level, to hear is to perceive sounds with your ear. It's, uh, we hear sounds all the time. You know, if we really uh, paid attention right now, you might hear road sounds. Uh, at some point during the service, you're probably going to hear the AC click on. Uh, you may hear the creaking in the pews, or if I step on just the right place, the creaking of the stage. But, but to listen is a more sophisticated process. Uh, to listen requires your senses, all of your senses. It starts with hearing. Chelsea, I think you're going to have to take over for me here. It starts with hearing, certainly, uh, but it's also seeing and smelling. It's bringing in all of the data we can with our senses. It's the sensory intake of information. But then listening proceeds to the next step, uh, which is attending. It's giving your attention. It's focusing all of your attention on something in order to gain more information about it, in order to understand it. The next step in, in listening, going from hearing to attending, is reflecting. And that's trying to determine the meaning of the information that's coming in. In reflecting, we're asking questions in order to gain further understanding. You might ask the questions in your head. You might ask the questions to a person you're in conversation with. And reflecting is about refining or clarifying the information that we have. The way that we reflect makes all the difference in a conversation. Uh, the way that we reflect sometimes reveals that we have a prejudice or a bias. Uh, the way that we reflect reveals our openness or our closed-mindedness toward new ideas. It reveals our core assumptions, and it's often manifested by this next step, which is assigning value. Uh, in assigning value, we're determining the meaning or the importance or the weight or the truthfulness of something that we've heard. And then the last step is just responding. And responding, if you're having a conversation with somebody, could just be like, mm, mm, mm-hmm. Active listening is itself a response. It's inviting further conversation. Like, okay, I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
A response could be an action. Uh, a response could be a question or you're adding further value uh, to the conversation. But the key difference between hearing and really listening is, the, is reflection that leads to some kind of action. So let's see if it's happening right now. I don't hear anything right now, but on a typical Sunday morning, I hear a lot of action over here. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The people who generally sit in these sections, you know what I'm talking about? There's generally some sound that's going on right over here. I hear it, and it sounds like a, a bunch of little happy voices. And, you know, like in, in listening to it, I hear it faintly, and then, you know, I try when I'm preaching not to put too much attention on it, but I can't help but attend to what's going on over there. And hearing all these little voices, I start to assign value, and I think, okay, I think it's a bunch of kids. Um, and in beginning to interpret those voices, I think, okay, it sounds like probably 10 or 15 little voices on a given Sunday. They sound like happy voices. That's good. So I'm assigning value. I think it's probably room four downstairs, and I would guess that they're involved in some kind of activity in this moment that's like, that has all of their attention, so they're not super loud. Well, what is my response on a given Sunday when I'm trying to focus on you and focus on this and I hear all this going on? Well, my first response is to just be glad that we have all of these children in our church. I mean, so many churches in town are, would just like, they're, they're, they're so jealous of the number of children in our church. It's a tremendous blessing. The first thing I say is I'm really glad that they're here. I'm really glad that they're happy. And then the second thing that I try to do is ignore them for the rest of the service so I can pay attention to you and to the comments that I prepared to say and try to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Listening is a critical skill. Listening is uh, the bedrock the, of, of all of our relationships, and it's even the foundation of wisdom. Proverbs 1.5 says, Wise people listen and add to their learning. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. In other words, wise people hone their listening skills in order to gain more wisdom. Uh, we can be among those who choose to listen or not to listen. We can choose those to whom we listen, and we can listen well or listen poorly. And there's a lot that can go wrong in the process of listening. If you pay attention to this, you think at the very basic level, it's difficult to listen if you can't hear. Or if the thing you're trying to listen to, the sound is muffled or too quiet. Or if you heard incorrectly, all of the following steps are going to go poorly. If you're not giving all of your attention to the one speaking or to the source of sound, you might miss critical information that's going to screw up everything that follows. In reflecting on what you heard and what you're trying to attend to, uh, you might, because of your mood or your life ex experience or biases, um, you know, project your own experiences onto what you're hearing and misinterpret what's going on. You might ask unhelpful questions or you might not ask enough questions. And in failing to attend or reflect, you might project your own bias or wrongly assign value unfair to the person who's speaking. Or your valuation may be skewed because of your own lack of information, lack of context, or your own kind of like lack of moral strength. And in responding to a person, you may say or do the wrong thing because of any number of failures in the entire process. It matters how we listen and it matters to whom we listen. One of the things that the Lord makes really clear in dealing with Moses as he's sending him back to Egypt and to Pharaoh, as he makes really clear, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. 
Or perhaps it's more fair to say that in listening to Moses, Pharaoh is going to respond wrongly. Now, he's certainly going to hear him. He's definitely going to attend to his words because if the Israelites all leave, that's highly consequential for him. But it seems that the problem comes in reflecting and assigning value. That's what's going to skew Pharaoh's response. And you could put this in one of two ways to explain why Pharaoh is going to respond inappropriately. On the one hand, there's a key piece of information that Pharaoh lacks. A key bit of knowledge that if he had it, it could make things way better. But the the information that he lacks, uh, and therefore is reluctant to entertain Moses' request, is that Moses actually does represent and speak for the one true God who is over heaven and earth, who has ultimate authority. Or another way to put it is that Pharaoh mistakenly believes himself to be a kind of demigod and subject to none. And as a result of being closed off to Moses' insider new information, he foolishly reflects on the situation and undervalues Moses' words and responds obstinately or stubbornly. Now, God in his wisdom knew this about Pharaoh. He knew that he was going to be reluctant to listen, and he leverages this for his own purposes in the world. He leverages Pharaoh's obstinance in order to reintroduce himself uh, to Moses, to the people of Israel, but also to all of the Egyptians for the first time in grand fashion. And because talking with Pharaoh goes nowhere, God moves on to consequences, and many of you know the rest of the story of Exodus with the plagues and all kinds of untold craziness that was introduced upon the Egyptians. God takes this big, bold action for an unambiguous, explicitly stated goal, something God said five times in the book of Exodus. The reason uh, that God was leveraging Pharaoh's obstinance, his reluctance to listen well, and acted in such a big, bold way was for the purpose that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, Exodus 8.10. Exodus 9.14, I'm doing this so that you may know there is no one like God in all the earth. Exodus 9.29, I'm doing this so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Exodus 10.2, God is acting in these big overt ways so that you may know that I am the Lord. God had to amplify his message through these acts of power because both the people of Egypt and his own people were slow to listen and to respond appropriately. Now, isn't it worth noting that even when God was moving in these big overt, through these big overt acts of power, that there were still people who couldn't perceive the voice of God? That even when God literally was moving mountains and sending crazy things upon the Egyptians, calling his shot through Moses, people still missed the voice of God. In his 1992 book, Technopoly, uh, cultural critic and sometimes prophet Neil Postman, you would all do well to read some Neil Postman, chronicles how the invention of the printing press, uh, followed by all other sorts of technological developments, the telegram, the radio, the television, uh, computer, Uh, With all of these coming into the world, listening became a very, very difficult thing to practice, a difficult skill to cultivate because of the overwhelming amounts of information both available to a person and also just shoved in our face all the time. Uh, Postman had this to say. He said, from millions of sources all over the globe, through every possible channel and medium, light waves, airwaves, ticker tapes, Some of you have no idea what a ticker tape is. 
computer banks, telephone wires, television cables, satellites, printing presses. From all these sources, information pours in. And behind it, every imaginable form of storage on paper, on video and audio tape, on disks, film, and silicon chips, we would say on the cloud. Behind all of it is an ever greater volume of information waiting to be retrieved. Like the sorcerer's apprentice, we are awash in information. And all the sorcerer has left us is a broom. Information has become a form of garbage. Coming in enormous volumes and at high speeds and disconnected from theory, meaning, or purpose. We're a culture consuming itself with information. And many of us do not even wonder how to control the process. We proceed under the assumption that information is our friend, believing that cultures may suffer grievously from a lack of information, which, of course, they do. It's only now beginning to be understood that cultures may also suffer grievously from information glut. That way, means way too much information. Information without meaning and information without control mechanisms. Now, this was written in 1992. I can only imagine what Postman would write now if he'd had an iPhone. In ages past, it was much easier to be a skillful listener if one wanted to be. In part, it was because the volume of information was so much lesser, considerably lesser. Another part was that information was something that had to be sought out. It required effort. So it might mean going to consult an expert after the printing press, it might mean uh, going to a library and checking out a book. Uh, I remember hearing through a, a colleague at Asbury, where I worked previously, about pastors uh, in, in Africa who would walk miles and miles and miles to get access to a printed Bible, memorize what they read, and then go back to their churches and preach on it. It might mean sending off for a book. Volume and speed were just considerably lesser and slower, which means they could give more attention to the existing resources they had. In the spring before Abraham Lincoln was elected president, uh, 1860, uh, there was this groundbreaking new technology that was going to help speed up getting messages from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was called the Pony Express. Full disclosure, I learned about this in a children's book that I read to my three-year-old a couple weeks ago. Read books, even if they're for children. <laughs> but they, they were able to send a message from Missouri to California in unprecedented breakneck speed of 10 days. And the way they worked, they would have these riders who would, who would uh, ride 70-mile jaunts at a time. They'd ride as far as they could on one horse, hop off, hop on the next horse, and then they'd hand off the package to the next person at the appointed stop. Ten days to get a message from Missouri to California, and I'm irritated when a package from China takes three or four days. In ages past, Postman argues that the information available to the masses was sorted and prioritized by various control mechanisms. So after the printing press with Gutenberg and the information goes crazy, people have all of this coming at them from all directions, society needed control mechanisms to help people sort this is relevant, this is irrelevant, this is trustworthy, this is untrustworthy. An early control mechanism was the church. And the church said, okay, this is important, this bit of information, you should pay attention to this, but this perhaps has a different worldview, therefore for us it is, you know, irrelevant. And the church helps sort, here's pertinent, impertinent information. 
Schools and universities developed as control mechanisms to help people channel their energies and attention amid the information glut. And so schools identified some vision of what a great student would be, the things that they would have need to, needed to learn or be able to do or be able to articulate. And so they devised courses of study and programs and syllabi exposing the students to the information they thought important while limiting their access to the information that they thought was unimportant, shielding them from other bits. The most important control mechanism throughout you know, human history historically has been the family. But the family, like all institutions in the last 500 years, has been under tremendous strain because of the volume of information available to us uh, and the speed at which the information comes flying at us. The level of access that our children have in smart devices is discontinuously different than all of human history. The level of access our children have to all kinds of good things, neutral things, destructive things is so different. And it's happened so quickly, the family has not had time to develop wisdom in how to, ha how to handle the information glut. Postman says again, he says, technology increases the available supply of information. As the supply is increased, control mechanisms are strained. Additional control mechanisms are needed to cope with the new information. When the supply of information is no longer controllable, there's just so much coming at us that we don't have time to sort it, a general breakdown in psychic tranquility, that's not talking about a 1-900 Dionne Warwick kind of number, it's like your, your, your mental and emotional well-being. A general breakdown in psychic tranquility and social purpose occurs. Without defenses, people have no way of finding meaning in their experiences. They lose their capacity to remember and have difficulty imagining reasonable futures. Postman argues that the flood of information coming at you and coming at me from all directions is diminishing our ability to cope with life. And the presence of a smartphone in our lives or, or the internet is like a portal to all of the news and opinions and frivolities and vices and noise of a volume and diversity and level of accessibility that no one else in human history has been privy to. And it's all so new. As I've said, we haven't had the time to develop wisdom and defensive strategies. And it's no wonder that if I were to pass a mic, so many of us would say we feel this generalized anxiety in life. It's no wonder that so many of us just feel fried and depressed and like we're always behind. Behind what? I don't know. Behind. We're losing a, a sense of contentment because we see and hear all of the amazing things that other people are doing with their lives. They're getting their side hustle up and running. They're traveling to exciting places. They're perfecting their image. And you're sitting there in your sweatpants asking yourself, have I brushed my teeth today? And it's easy in a world like this to lose a sense of purpose because there are just so many options, so many things to do, so many things to care about, so much advice that you may not have considered yet, so many people doing cool things. We get overwhelmed and we lose our ability to be decisive. It's like imagine if all of a sudden uh, the Tulsa International Airport, maybe we'll be international again, right? Right? <laughs> Imagine the Tulsa International Airport. Most of my jokes have a slightly delayed fuse. 
all of a sudden started getting the air traffic from LAX and LaGuardia and the Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta? What would happen if all of a sudden the traffic of those three major airports started coming into Tulsa International Airport? Well, think about all of the systems that would be strained from the on-site parking to the shuttles to TSA to food service to the air traffic controllers to the taxis and lifts and Ubers. Every inch of that operation would be under such strain that all of the employees would no doubt have a nervous breakdown. Because of the backups, anger and violence and outrage would just burst up everywhere, would always be a breath away. People would be impatient and irritable and rude and afraid. And it would feel like an all-hands-on-deck emergency with not nearly enough hands and way too small a deck. And that is exactly what has happened to us in the information age. We're just doing our best trying to keep our stuff together. We're trying to manage our friendships and our family. We're trying to do our work. We're trying to be a decent citizen. We're trying to participate in the life of our church. And, and like to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But the amount of stuff that you're supposed to care about is overwhelming. There are all these friends that were able to skim their lives through social media and feel like we're still connected with them even though we haven't seen them in years. We're behind on text, we're behind on email, we're behind on messages. There are any number of ways that people can get in touch with you through, uh, through text, through calls, through Facebook messages, Instagram messages, Twitter messages, LinkedIn. There's so many ways in which you can be behind. There are topics that you need to learn about, obligations that you've not tended to keep flashing in your face, not to mention the real people around you and the real work that you've been entrusted with doing, and sometimes you just feel like you're going to explode. And in a world like this, it's really hard to listen. It's hard to listen to one another. It's hard enough just to be in touch with ourselves, like what's God doing in our hearts, and it's, it's all the more difficult to listen to God. Because everywhere we have been habituated into a life of noise, habituated into a life where we're accustomed to hearing a never-ending cacophony of sounds. Well, what do you do? How in a world like this do, be, do you begin to discern the voice of truth? How can we discern clarity amid the chaos? I'm going to solve all of your problems in the next five minutes. Two encouragements to, to help you get started. Uh, the, the first is to ask God to help us to be discerning content curators for our minds. You know, a docent or a curator in a museum is carefully putting together uh, this, this organized, well-run, beautiful experience for the user. We need to learn to be discerning content curators for our minds, for our ears, for our hearts. Uh, when I was 17 or so, Joe Mooberry taught me to study uh, Proverbs chapter 2, and I love uh, what Proverbs 2 represents, a prayer to be discerning, to get wisdom. The author says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is if you want it, if you'll listen, if you'll apply your heart, if you search for it, you chase after it, God will give it to you because that's what he does. He gives wisdom. James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, with no judgment. In the, amid the noise and cacophony of sounds in our life, where do we start? We start by asking God. Love the, the verbs in the passage. Turning your ear, applying your heart, calling, crying, looking, searching. We ask God, which, which requires intention and resolution. And then we develop a, an instinct to pay attention. Okay, like, what are you saying? And we experiment, we try, we listen. We want to be among those who are wise and add to their learning. And it starts by asking, sustained by listening. And I think the next encouragement that I want to share with you is that to listen more, we must hear less. To listen more, we must hear less. I have an addictive personality with regard to tech stuff. From the time I was a little kid in elementary school, some of you remember playing uh, the Oregon Trail on those old Mac computers. I could go all day. Regular Nintendo, all day and all night. Television, social media, I could go for hours and literally never tire. And so for me, I know I lack the willpower to make good choices. Or I don't have nearly enough willpower to stand in the gap and keep all that information from me. Without restraints, I naturally overindulge. So I think it's really important to be informed. Uh, do I need to check Tulsa World, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, KRMG, NPR 20 times a day? Probably not. I think it's really, it's really important for me to stay connected with my friends. It's good to be in the loop. But do I need to check Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Splash, Yaks, and Snapchat 20 times a day? I made up a couple of those. No, I don't. Habitually hearing and seeing and taking in too much information atrophies our ability to listen. And so if we want to be better listen listeners, we must intentionally get dumber with our devices. Uh, Andy Crouch wrote a book called The Tech Wise Family, which I would highly recommend to all of you. It's a, my favorite book on family, and it's my favorite book on managing technology. And he said, I'm not telling you that you have to be Amish. I'm telling you that you have to be almost Almost Amish. <laughs> so I just ask you to consider, what are some ways that we can get dumber and consequently smarter? What are some ways that you can help yourself to hear less in order to listen more? Uh, there are some great tools at our disposal. Uh, a tool that I use a lot that helps me to get away from the internet is called Freedom. I think I had to pay for it. But I, can, I set a schedule and it will limit my ability to access the internet on any of my devices. You can say I don't want access to social or the news, that's what I do, during these hours. I heard Beth Moore say once, you know, 10 to 3, Twitter free, you know, 9 to 4, like thrive some more. She said something like that. We have to deliberately limit our access. There's things like freedom. If you're an Apple user, there's, there's screen time and you give somebody else the password. I think it's good just to train ourselves to be away from our devices, to take a trip and don't take pictures. Uh, walk in the woods and leave your phone in the car. Use a paper Bible instead of a digital one. Write with a pen in a journal. 
Practice earthing. Emily Odom is really big about this. Take off your shoes and touch the dirt. Get in the grass. Pay attention to creation. Deliberately enjoy meals with friends or your family and have all of your devices in another room. Ask each other good questions and look each other in the eyes. If there were one practice I would advise to all of you outside of praying and reading your Bible, it would be to commend to you to read good books. There are a lot of bad books out there. I said read good books. And all of this to prioritize uh, beauty over frivolity, uh, truth over hearsay, listening to the ancients and not just contemporaries, carefully cultivated presentations rather than just hot takes, getting comfortable with silence and stillness and even boredom. There are so many things that are, are working against our ability to listen to one another, to listen to our own hearts, and to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're overcommitted and we're underrested. We're overstimulated and we're underfocused. We're flooded with news and noise, and yet we're at the same time shockingly underinformed. We're knowledgeable, but we lack wisdom. And amid the din and the noise of all these voices and sounds and things clamoring for our attention, we hear the still and soft voice of Jesus saying, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and overstimulated and worn out, frazzled and fried, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle in spirit, and in me you'll find rest for your souls. I remember that scene, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, where Jesus is on a mountain. He brings Peter and James and John with them, and he's transfigured before their sight. And Moses and Elijah appear, but then a cloud descends, and the disciples can't see anything. And that's like life for us. We're living on a mountain where we, we can hear a lot, but we can't see anything. And the Father speaks. He said, James, John, Peter, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And in a world like ours, with so much noise, so many things competing for our attention, we want to be among those who discern the voice of truth, who are postured and ready and eager to hear the Lord speak and would say with Samuel, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. To listen more, we have to hear less. To tune our voices, tune our ears to the voice of God. If even in acts of power the people were able to miss God's divine hand, might we be missing him today? Maybe you've been crying out for him, but you can't hear his response. How today is the Lord inviting you to dumb down your life, to quiet your life, so that you can hear the voice of Jesus calling you to rest? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the thing that we want, we don't want nearly enough. Because like lab rats, we've been trained and habituated to just crave stimulation. In our insecurity, we often need the little red notification that reminds us someone noticed us, even in an insignificant way. Help us to cultivate such a contentment of being that we can be away from our devices and not feel panicky. That we can be in silence and yet be okay. 
Above all, Lord Jesus, we, we want to be people who hear your voice. We need the, the Holy Spirit to move and to direct our affections, direct our attention, because there's so many people and so many entities and interests competing for them. I pray that you would break the algorithms that are keeping us trapped on our screens. Give us the strength of will and the clarity and the courage to take drastic action to prioritize the things that matter the most. And even now, Lord Jesus, as we gather around the table, would you speak a word of love and truth over us again? It's not missed on us, Jesus, that you are described as the word, the articulation of what the Father is like. Help us to see Jesus more clearly, to hear Jesus more clearly, to attend to every word that comes from his mouth, to reflect and to chew and to meditate on it, to put it in its proper place, assigning value, Lord Jesus, you over uh, the, the, the voice of truth, the Lord over heaven and earth, and to respond as people of courage and obedience. Pour out your spirit on us today, nourish us today, build us up and unite us today for the sake of the glory of your name in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.